If you brought a copy of Scripture with you this morning, you can find Luke chapter 22, pretty much where we left off last week. Luke chapter 22. I'm wondering um, about some of you this morning who need to lawyer up. Some of you are thinking, oh my goodness, has he been around? Actually, I should tell you, it's been a rough week around here. Seriously, no pun intended. It's been a rough week around here. Is it okay to say that to you? Is it all right that, uh, that pastors can have rough weeks? We do sometimes. This was one of them. This week we got it in spades, actually. Lots of different circumstances that weighed extraordinarily heavy upon us. In fact, I was thinking about those uh, star charts that parents put up for their kids, you know, at the end of a week. And there's a couple of pastors on our staff that would deserve multiple stars. Unfortunately, I wasn't one of them. I was in a meeting this last week. I was uh, as a, an arbitrator, as a mediator, not as the perpetrator. Praise God. It was a good place to be, except I screwed up my role. It really wasn't what I said that was so problematic, but how I said it. Have you ever been there? And I had a dilemma. I had sinned addressing another sin. Ugh. And so that was my dilemma. So my, 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 uh, at the time it happened, my inner lawyer got together with a whole bunch of lawyers. In fact, before it was all done, I had a whole law firm working for me. And, uh, and they gave me counsel. Wasn't that, it wasn't that I didn't like the counsel. In fact, I liked the counsel very much. It made sense and all, but it, it just sort of left me empty and still, still guilt-ridden, actually. Fortunately, I had another lawyer. Basically, I'd had him on retainer. He was doing it pro bono. He'd already paid for it a long time ago, actually. He, he understood my position. Uh, and as it turned out, he'd been through quite a bit of trouble himself. He got himself into a whole bunch of trouble, except unlike me, he hadn't been guilty of any of the accusations that were being hurled against him. Anyway, I thought it was a good idea to bring him on for my defense. And then, and then he pulled a fast one on me. He told me that he would defend me only if I would first own my own sin. And I didn't like that. Because that would put me in a poor light. And none of us like to be put in a poor light. Amen? Especially me. And basically, my lawyer said, Pat, I, I know that. But if you don't let my light shine into your darkness, then you're never going to get out of this mess you're in. Uh, to be honest... I would not have believed my lawyer, <laughs> except that this wasn't the first time I needed his help. He actually won quite a number of cases for me in the past, 
And he always, always tells me the same thing. So I knew it would work. I just had to humble myself and believe him all over again. Anybody here in a mess like I was? Would you like to hire my lawyer? He's really, really good. Come with me, if you would, to a time in my lawyer's, my defense attorney's life, when he needed the love, uh, the help, and the support of his dearest friends. But as it turned out, he would find himself in the midst of the greatest trial of his life, giving out the love and the help and the support that they needed. You're going to need it too. He's more than a lawyer. Last week he was a lamb. Next week he'll be a lion. He'll forever be Lord. He is Jesus Christ, and he's more than a defense attorney. We pick it up in verse 24, where we left off, where it says, this is just crazy stuff. If you take this stuff out of context, it's, it's one thing. But this isn't the, he's just, the Last Supper is just concluded. Judas is just bugged out, filled with the devil. A dispute arose among them, verse 24, regarding who would be the greatest in the kingdom. And this is where Jesus says, you know, Gentile kings exercise authority and lordship over those and authority are called benefactors, but not so with you. Rather, let it be the greatest among you becoming the youngest and the leader as one who serves. And then watch this. For who is greater, the one who reclines at table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at table? But I'm among you as one who serves. Now, if you've been following the, the account, this literally had just taken place. He literally got up from the table, remember that, and washed his disciples' feet. This would have been just embrazened upon their minds. Jesus is your example. This is the first thing I want you to note. He's your example. And when you think you deserve to be put up, you need to remember, I need to remember, we have an example who went down. Came down from heaven humbled himself throughout his life, even in the last moments of his life. And so when he gives this illustration, it's more than an illustration. They just lived it out. Now, I'm thinking that there are some of you who feel like you've been overlooked. Ever feel like you've been overlooked? One-upped, or worse, made to take a lesser role, perhaps? Because, doggone it, you deserve better. Right? I was reminded of uh, Muhammad Ali. Uh, true story, he was on an airplane once. This was overheard, sitting down that first class. And the stewardess had just said, you, uh, sir, you need to buckle your seatbelt. And he said, Superman don't need no seatbelt. To which the stewardess says, Superman don't need no airplane either. <laughs> Buckle your seatbelt.
Listen, you're not as big a deal as you think you are. Truth is, most of us do a terrible job of assessing ourselves. And when we do, we always put ourselves in the better light, don't we, as much as we can? Remember, when you think you deserve to be put up, there is one, the better than a lawyer, who went down for you and for me. He's not just your example, he's your intercessor. And when you're down on courage, your intercessor will take you up on his. Verse 31, Simon, Simon, he's talking to Peter. This is never good <laughs> when Jesus calls you by your earthly name and then does it twice. Behold, Satan demanded, the word demanded means to ask for yourself, which is even more eerie, isn't it? To have you that he may sift you like wheat. But I prayed for you that your faith may not fail, and when you've turned again, strengthen your brothers. Now, we still have this sinister atmosphere that we talked about last week. Satan has already possessed Judas. He's not God. He's not omnipresent. But Judas is already bugged out. Perhaps he's already done what he needs to do. You know, Judas has already betrayed him. But he, Jesus is talking about something going on behind, you know, behind the curtain here. And we don't know when he put this request in. But he surely did, because he tells us, Satan has demanded to have you. When did he do this? This, this, this speaks of, this uh, uh, harkens uh, back to Job 1 and 2, remember, where he's dialoguing with God over Job, his life, his health, his, his uh, notoriety, etc. By the way, and this has been pointed out, uh, in fact, Randy, a friend of mine, our cell group, pointed this out, but the, the, the yous in verse 31 are actually plural. He wanted them all. He didn't want, he's talking to Peter, but he wanted them all. And you need to remember that. And with the exception of John, they all had been satanically robbed of their courage. They all bugged out, right? At least initially. But the focus is clearly on Peter here. And it would take a special work of God to restore him later on after the resurrection along the banks of the lake, you remember, when he restored him. Some of you might be thinking, well, why would Satan waste his time on little old me? Well, he probably wouldn't, okay? Because <laughs> he's not God. He's not omnipresent. But he's got plenty of demons who can do the work in your life. And that's the reason why Jesus said when you pray, you say, you pray to God with your heart, you know, lead me not into temptation, deliver me from the, what? The evil one. You need an intercessor, don't you? It was also pointed out that Jesus' prayer, and he, he mentions his prayer here, didn't exempt Peter from the trial that he would, he would fail in. Now, he tells us he's praying, but he, it didn't exempt him. Oh, by the way, the, in verse 32, where it says, but I have prayed for you that, uh, that your faith may not fail, that, that word you there, that's singular. 
He's talking directly to Peter now. All of us are destined to struggle. Would you agree with that? Some of us are destined to fail, to fall, to screw up. You, didn't, you can never make an excuse for it, to lose heart, to lose courage. And amidst all of the ambient noise in this passage, the, the, the phrase that stands out and the one I want you to underline in your Bible is this, the words of Jesus, I have prayed for you. That's good news. When you're down on courage, your intercessor will take you up on his. And again, as I mentioned, he says, Peter, I prayed for you. That's singular for you. His courage would fail. His faith never would. And his intercessor would make sure of that. And he'll make sure of it for you as well. Take courage in that. He's more than your defense attorney. He's your example. He's your intercessor. He's your restorer. Verse 33. Now, now Peter says, hey, thanks, Lord. I appreciate that. Makes me feel a whole lot better. No. No, he doubles down on his courage or his human fleshly courage. He said to him, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and death. Other scripture, other gospels, they all go, yeah, hear, hear, hear us too. Jesus, as I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny me three times. Basically, Jesus looks at Peter and says, Peter, just so that you know, you're going to deny me three times before this night's over, so you might want to dial down the hero talk. <laughs> I've seen a number of great faith statements go south. Have you? I remember when a young pastor was uh, talking to his neighbor. His neighbor was an older man who uh, uh, had a teenager that was just going off the reservation, acting crazy. And, and the neighbor said to this young pastor, he had like four or five kids at the time, he said, look, you just wait. You wait till your kids get in high school. They'll do the same thing to you. And this young pastor goes, he just spoke boldly and confidently. He says, look, I'm raising my kids for God. And I'm claiming Proverbs 22, 60. That's God's promise. You know, that whole business of training up a child and the way he should go when he's old, he won't depart from it. I, I'm claiming that. That's, that's what the young pastor said. That old neighbor is gone. But I'd like to tell him I'm sorry for that conversation I had with him. <laughs> and all of my presumptuous comments... And if I could, I'd tell him I've eaten, I've eaten my words a couple times between then and now. And then I'd tell him about my restorer. That's what I'd do. Anybody here ever experience a miserable failure of courage? Some of you are in the dumps now. Missed opportunities. Just the other day, I was in the hospital, and I got permission from this man. Had had a surgery, a lot of question marks over his health, even to this moment. And we're talking about it. We're praying for him, my wife and I. And he said to me, he said, he said the thing about it, he said, Pastor, he says, I have two, two people I work with 
One, my very best friend, have died of cancer just in the last couple of months. In fact, really, last couple of weeks. And he just started weeping. And I felt bad because it was his best friend that died. He'd worked with him for many years. But then he eked out these words through his tears. You could barely understand them. He said, and I never shared with him. I was too fearful. I didn't have the courage. We let that sit for a little while before we prayed. Is that lack of courage, while costly, need not be wasted? When you lack courage and miss opportunities, then you go to the one who can restore you. Let the one who never lost courage restore you with the courage that you need, right? Here's a fourth thing I want you to note about him. He's your supplier. I was going to skip over this passage because it's so weird. But I, I thought, no, we, just, we, we got to look at it. Verse 35 that, that's where, uh, and, and he said to them, when I, when I sent, there's somewhere between, you know, the upper room and, and the arrest, and they're talking. No, mind you, they've been arguing over who's the greatest. I mean, it, you can't make this stuff up. And he's still teaching them along the way. And he says, look, when I was with you, when I, when I sent you out with no money bag or knapsack or sandals, did you lack anything? Nope. He said to them, but, but now let the one who has a money bag take it. You got a knapsack, grab that too. And let the one who has no sword take or sell his cloak and buy a sword. For I tell you, this scripture must be fulfilled. And he was numbered with the transgressors. You're referring to his death as the crucifixion between the two thieves. For it was written about him, what was written about me has its fulfillment. And they, so notice how they respond. <laughs> Hey, got a couple swords here. Will that be enough? And Jesus says, if you're looking at your Bible at the end of verse uh, 38, it says, it is enough. You should write down, enough of that. That's the idea here. That's, what, that's the nuance in the Greek. They're basically, he's basically saying, he's basically pulling his hair out. Now, he is your supplier. When you worry about your needs, you have a supplier. You need to know that. And when you, Philippians 4, 19, my God shall supply what? All you need, according to his riches and glory, and it's through Christ Jesus, right? It was, that was never, that, that statement from Paul was, was never intended to exempt us from work and from struggle and from sweat and even loss. Jesus certainly wasn't implying that we no longer, they no longer needed him or that they're going it alone now by saying, go ahead and grab the knapsack and, you know, get a couple of, get a sword. There are times in our lives when only the supernatural will suffice. Would you agree? But between those times, God expects you and me to function in this world using the world's goods and the world's protections to meet our needs. Not because we're not trusting God, but because we have sanctified common sense in this world. But there are times where you just, 
Only God can come through. I mean, another one of those circumstances this week I'm dealing with. There's working, working with our counseling pastor. There's no change. There's no breakthrough. This thing is just going nowhere but south. And we walked, we walked away from a, a situation the other day. I'm looking at him. I go, look, dude, talking to our counseling pastor. We know if this thing goes glory, if God gets the glory on this thing, we know it's of God because we've done nothing on this deal. And sometimes that's just the way it is, right? I mean, he, I mean and when Jesus says to them, now you got to, you know, you, you know you gotta, you're going to have to start doing, you're going to have to start living like anybody else. You're going to have to pay bills, work, supply your needs through that work, you know, Get a sword. I mean, I just try to picture yourself there. Hey, you got a couple of swords here. Will this do? Imagine what Jesus was. I mean, think about this. Jesus had to be incredulous. One betrayed him. Another was about to deny him. His three best friends fell asleep on him a little bit later. They'll all run from him. And if you read, if you, if you composite the entire Passion account, Throughout the night, they're asking questions, and some of them are really stupid questions. And if you didn't know the rest of the story, you'd wonder if they ever got it. But if you have read the rest of the story, you know that they do eventually get it because they get the supply of the Holy Spirit living in them. And when I see people who, who supposedly place their faith in Jesus and you never get it, it makes me wonder, did you ever get Jesus? Because he supplies, he is, he is your supplier and my supplier. Do you ever feel like, on the other hand, do you ever feel like Jesus' disciples and you, you just wonder sometimes, you don't always get it? You know he'll supply your needs because you, you got those promises and, and yet you still worry, right? Right? And you wonder... Listen, the one who told his disciples on this very night, I won't leave you orphans. Won't leave you an orphan either. So be encouraged. He's your supplier when you worry about your needs. You have that supplier. He's also your forerunner. When you wrestle in prayer, you have one who preceded you. Verse 39 And he came and went, came out and went as, uh, as was his custom. The Mount of Olives disciples followed him. And when he'd come to the place, he said, pray that you may not enter into temptation. We know that he took his three best friends of the 12 with him at this time. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared an angel from heaven strengthening him. Only Luke tells us this. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he arose from prayer, he came to the disciples. He found them sleeping for sorrow. He said to them, why, why are you sleeping? Rise, pray. It's you don't enter into temptation. 
It's hard to pray, isn't it? The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. That's what the Bible says in Matthew's gospel. It's not natural to cry out to somebody who's invisible, but real. But we must. In so doing, we join the one who preceded us in in the hardship of surrender and prayer and now takes our He takes our prayers, takes your prayers before the throne of grace, straightens them out, right? So they're presentable. No other writer writes so descriptively as Luke. He uses, he's the only one who tells us about his capillaries expanding and breaking and busting up and mixing with his sweat and coming out of his pores. It was a condition, it's a, it's a known condition. Hematidrosis, it's, it's, a, it's a real condition, almost never witnessed, just describing the enormous pressure that was on the human flesh of our Savior. And he comes back and he sees them, and this is an interesting expression, isn't it? Sleeping for sorrow, see that? That was his disciples. I I know this kind of sleep, and many of you do as well. When life is hard, your losses are huge, your emotions are exhausted, you need a forerunner. You need somebody who's gone before you, who's taken it much harder, much deeper, much longer than you ever had, and he's still praying for you. Listen to how the writer of Hebrews put it. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a, say it, forerunner on your behalf, having become a high priest forever. Hallelujah. Prayer is hard work because it involves surrender. And all that you see here with Jesus, we're supposed, when we come to him, we surrender ourselves. This entire week, starting tonight, is being given over to prayer and fasting here at Sailorville Church. We're going to meet every, every morning at 6 a.m., starting tomorrow. We're going to have a concert of prayer tonight. Will you join us? Will you be there? Will you do the hard work, calling out to God both corporately and individually on behalf of the souls who need to come to know Jesus? We're asking you to. Jesus is your forerunner. And when you wrestle in prayer, you do have one who preceded you. Aren't you glad? One more thing. One more thing. He's your lawyer. When you have no place to stand, he will stand in your place. How's that? That's a good, that's a good deal. Want to hire him? We're going to just conclude our time with the actual betrayal. We just have to read it. Beginning in verse 47, while he was still speaking, there came a crowd. The man called Judas, one of the 12, was leading them. He drew near to Jesus to kiss him because that was the signal, Matthew tells us. But Jesus said to him, Judas, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? And when those who were around him saw that they would, uh, 
what would follow, they said, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? They brought their swords with them. And one of them struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. Well, we know who that was. We don't need John to write 30 years later to tell us who it was. It was Peter. Peter didn't even wait for the answer. Hey, should we grab a sword? Forget it. I'm going after him. Probably tried to take his head off, got an ear. Wasn't very good swordsman. <laughs> Jesus heals the ear. How would you like to see that while you're trying to arrest him? Verse 52 says, Then Jesus said to the chief priest, officers of the temple, elders who had come out against him, You've come out, with, what, come out against a robber, swords and clubs? When I was with you day after day in the temple, did you not lay hands on me? But this is your hour and the power of darkness. And with that, they seized him, led him away. So here comes Judas with his band of temple officers, etc., and per the sign, kisses Jesus. And Jesus' famous statement, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? Does, can you not hear his, how incredulous he is? Humanly speaking, he would be incredulous because this is exactly what a disciple would do to his rabbi when he met him. He would greet him, and he would kiss him as a sign of genuine heart, love, and loyalty. That's why Spurgeon wrote, Christ's name is often slandered by those who make a loud profession of attachment to him and then sin foully as the chief of transgressors. Just the other day, I was in a coffee shop. This just happened last week, talking to another guy in our church. And all of a sudden, this guy walks by who, he's now growing up. He's got a job. He's making a good living. As a youth, several years ago, he'd made a profession of faith, really had a stand-up profession for a while around here, and then just dropped off the radar, totally, completely. And there he was. And I was with my friend. I said to him, hey, called him by name. Hey, come here. He's like five feet from me. He goes, I don't have time to talk to you right now. I got work to do. He walked right away from me. Sat down 20 feet from me, never looked up again. I mean, totally, totally dissed in the moment. <laughs> totally rejected. By a word. Jesus was rejected with a kiss. You know, Psalm 2 says, kiss the son. Have you ever read that? It's a messianic psalm about Jesus. Kiss the son, lest he be angry with you. To kiss means to believe, to trust, to adore. But for Judas, it was a sign of betrayal. What do your kisses say to Jesus? Listen, despite all that you've done, the one who you have stood against by your life and your sin is willing to stand up for you. Become your lawyer, your advocate, your defense attorney. Listen to how John puts it. He says, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you don't sin. Look at that. But if anyone does sin, we have an 
advocate. That means a lawyer, a defense attorney. That's what it means. That's exactly what the word means. And he stands before the ultimate judge, the Father, and he's Jesus Christ, the righteous. Mark it down and memorize it. When you have no place to stand, Jesus will stand in your place. And that's where it has to be. That's where you have to be. Want to bring him on for your defense? If you do, I got to warn you, it's going to be the same thing he did to me. You're going to have to bring your sins out of your darkness and into his light. Or it's not going to work for you. You just continue to be the prideful person you are. And you'll still be stained. You'll still be in the place of the unforgiven. Jesus is better than a defense attorney. But he's not less than that. He is your lawyer. He is your defense. Go to him. Let him shine his light on you. Confess your sin. Turn to him, the one who would die for you, be buried for you, rise again for you, ascend into heaven for you, sits at the right hand of the Father for you, advocating for you, if, if you'll come to him on his terms. Will you do that? Let's pray. Father, thank you for the time in your word and for this, uh, this time in this scripture that takes us up to the actual torture and crucifixion of our Savior himself. And we'll look at that here this Friday and celebrate his resurrection on Sunday. I pray for everyone in this room right now I don't know where they're at, but all of us need you. We need to lawyer up this morning with the greatest lawyer of all time, better than Perry Mason. You've never lost a case. Your terms are pretty simple, Lord. We confess. You defend. Let us take that to heart in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand.